This audio recording is of our Easter Sunday service, April 1st, 2018, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Sam Ford. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. First Corinthians um, chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 the resurrection of Christ now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Sam, and I have the joy of preaching a lot here. We are obviously going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. A very, very important passage. If you're ever wondering, what is the gospel? What are the facts of the gospel? Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11 and turn there. So let me pray and we're going to get right to work. Heavenly Father, we praise You for all that You are and all that You have done for us and despite us. Lord, we are rebellious and weak and broken and yet You sent Your Son in love to ensure that we could come into your presence again, to adopt us and to cleanse us and to forgive us so that we might call you Father and you might delight in living with us. Lord, we look forward to the day when we get to be in your presence with our King and our Savior, Jesus. We ask, Lord, until that day that we will elevate and proclaim even beyond Easter Sunday the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and that that truth will change us from the inside out Thank you for not leaving everything about yourself a mystery, but for speaking to us through your word, something that has the power to transform a heart and a life. And I pray for that transformation today. Father, move me out of the way. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Speak the words of conviction or comfort, encouragement or instruction, and let us all behold with greater awe the glories of Jesus. Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here with us. There's lots of places you could have been, but you chose to be here with us, and we're very appreciative. 
I've been dwelling uh, on a question that's kind of maybe weird, but um, I'll share it with you. I'm wondering at what point the resurrection from the dead stopped blowing our minds. Like, we see so much stuff today in our world, amazed and impressed by what I would argue is such minuscule things when compared to the resurrection of the dead. And my concern is that we have heard it so often and so much that it's lost its power. It's lost its amazing, miraculous power to blow our minds. If you heard today that someone literally rose from the dead, everyone would go crazy. It would be viral instantly. But we spend our days sharing and liking and posting such silly things that we get amazed by. Everything from cat videos to guys climbing buildings and not falling, like, like, great. But the resurrection of the dead, that's amazing. Or should be. When did the resurrection of Jesus stop moving us? When did it stop going viral where you just wanted to share it with everybody? Beyond Easter Sunday. Now historically, if you just look back and Take a look at history. The resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is the event in history that changed the world forever. And I would argue is still changing the world. And the story of Jesus is, is pretty simple. Over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God took on human flesh and became a Jewish man named Jesus. He lived a pretty regular life in the town of Nazareth, of which there wasn't much to be excited about in that town. He lived there for about 30 years in relative obscurity until he was publicly baptized by his very furry, bug-eating cousin in the wilderness. And from there, from that moment, he walked around the Judean countryside with this small band of brothers, and he taught and he preached and he healed and he did many miracles. And then after about three years of doing that, his earthly ministry came to conclusion during the annual Jewish Holy Week in Jerusalem. He entered the city, heralded as the son of David, right? The long-awaited king riding atop this donkey. But in less than a week, He was betrayed by one of his closest disciples. He was falsely accused by his leaders. He was abandoned by all of his friends. And he was left alone, sentenced to die by the voices of his own people. And in the end, as we remembered on Friday, the Son of God was brutally beaten and publicly crucified by professional Roman soldiers like some common criminal. Jesus of Nazareth was dead, and everyone knew it. His disciples thought he was dead. The governor Pilate thought he was dead. The Jewish leaders believed he was dead. The soldiers who executed him made sure that he was dead. And even the women who helped bury him thought that he was dead. 
But three days later, the tomb was empty. Inexplicably. But everyone knew that Jesus had died and yet now they had no body. And we read in the Gospels that in fear, the soldiers and the Jewish leaders concocted a wild story. Interestingly, not that he hadn't died, but why the tomb was empty. The soldiers were paid a, quote, sufficient sum of money to say that, well, his disciples came by night and they stole him away while these Roman soldiers were sleeping. No, the disciples didn't steal the body. No, the women didn't go to the wrong gravesite and get to the wrong tomb. No, Jesus didn't suddenly awaken from a coma because he hadn't really died. No, Jesus did die and he rose from the dead and walked out of his tomb alive. And according to Paul, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, he wasn't real secretive about it. He appeared to 500 people at one time after appearing to all these others. Without doubt, meeting the resurrected Jesus was a transformative moment, and it took what amounts to a small group of depressed, scared, weak men and it filled them with new joy and a courage that was unbelievable. It is the event that took these uneducated, underachieving, unqualified, blue-collar nobodies and transformed them into leaders of the way, which would soon be called Christianity. And these guys had radical lives. And even, even more so, fantastic deaths, all because of this truth. They inspired a faith rooted in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, a faith that has outlasted people and nations for over 2,000 years. And the Christian faith is certainly about many things, but it centers on one truth, one historical fact that distinguishes it from all other belief systems and all other religions, the resurrection of its founder, Jesus Christ. If that is not true, then I personally have devoted myself to perpetuating a lie. And our faith is futile, as Paul says, and all Christians are really wasting their time in a people to really be most pitied. But the fact is, Jesus has been raised. He did rise from the dead, and this should change everything for everyone. But I ask you, especially you Christian, how does our belief or our lack of belief in this profound truth, this truth that should amaze us, this truth that should blow our minds. How does our belief or lack thereof like impact our daily life? Outside of Easter Sunday, where we all come and if you're a believer, you expect, here comes the Easter sermon. Same old sermon. But shouldn't we respond to the resurrection differently? You know, the gospel 
We speak about the gospel a lot because the Bible speaks about the gospel a lot. It, it is the, the heart and the power of salvation. It's good news of what God has done for us and despite us to fix the relationship that we broke with God. But some of us here don't believe in the gospel at all. It's foolishness still to you. Others, I would argue, only believe parts of it. See, Paul seems to indicate in 1 Corinthians 15 there's kind of three basic parts to the gospel, three basic facts. The death of Jesus for sins, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's certainly other implications of those facts, but this is the basics, right? And these basics kind of unfold over these three days that we've just experienced. On Friday, right? Good Friday, Jesus dies for sins. On Saturday, the whole day, Jesus is buried in the tomb. And on Sunday, glorious Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. And Christianity claims to believe in these three events, and yet Christians often only live as if they believe just one. Or maybe it's better said, they only live out their faith on one of these days. So let's break it down a little bit and maybe challenge our own thinking, examine our own faith. You see, some of us here live only on Friday. And that can include all of us, maybe just some of us. And this is where Jesus dies for sins. And without doubt, Jesus Christ is a historical person. Right? There's more evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ than yours or mine. And even if you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, maybe he was a liar, maybe he was a freak show lunatic, even if you don't believe he is who he said he was, there's more than enough evidence to prove that Jesus lived and that Jesus died. And unless you are, I guess, the dark lord of the Sith, you look at that event and you're like, that's bad. The death of Jesus, whether you are a believer or not, is awful and it's tragic to anyone. You have this 30-year-old carpenter named Jesus who did nothing but serve and love people. And this guy, who seemed to do everything right, and he did so perfectly, is falsely accused, betrayed by his friends, tried illegally, and then murdered brutally. Like, if the death of Jesus happened today, like we get upset about all kinds of tragedies in the world. People start movements about tragedies all the time. Things go viral about how these bad things have happened all the time. If Jesus Christ came today, if he did what he did and died the way he did, we'd be like, horrible! Everyone would go, that's what's wrong. That proves that the world is broken. That things are not right. That this place is messed up. That's what we have to all recognize. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you have to say, that's wrong. That's messed up. That's tragic. That's evidence that the world is broken. 
that there's evil out there. We may disagree on the solution, but we would all say, oh, there's a problem out there. There's a problem with that. There's a problem in then. I don't know how many of us would ever get to the place of, what about the problem in here? I mean, I see the evil out there. That's easy to see. I see the evil of of the death of Jesus and the evil of tragedy. And Oh, that's evil and that's evil and that's evil. What about the evil in here? It's not as easy to talk about because it's not as easy to admit. See, the Bible says that our problem is not politics or education or, or any amount of things. It says it's a spiritual problem. We are separated from our Creator, from our God. And what separates us from God is our sin. Not their sin. Not that sin. Our sin. And we all know this to be true. Because we all feel guilty. We all feel guilty for how we have hated. We feel guilty for how we have lusted. We feel guilty for how we have hurt others by not loving them as we should have. And if we're honest for a second, we all feel ashamed. We feel ashamed of our failures. We feel ashamed about how others have hurt us. And it's obvious we all feel this way, though we are slow to admit it, because we all hide from one another. We pretend. We avoid. We blame things outside of ourselves. We do anything but walk in the light and share our own sin, because I, I, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be the, the weirdo that's got problems. We all have problems. We're all guilty. We're all filled with shame and we all hide. You know, the Bible's pretty honest about our condition. Jesus himself said there's no one good. The Bible also says that all men, women, children, old, young, everyone, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of, of God's expectation of us. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. But it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that anyone, right? John 3.16. That anyone who believes in Him, because this is how much God loves the world. Anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And the question is, what exactly are we believing? Friday tells us that we're believing that we deserve to die for our sins and Jesus stood in our place. And of course, though we see that and though we know that, it's hard for us to admit that we're actually that broken. Like, really? Like, requires, I'm not that bad. I mean, I could tell you someone who's bad. I can tell you, let's play comparison with one another. Uh, that person's bad. I'm, I'm not that bad. Deserving of death? I mean, I've, I've sinned, but I haven't sinned. God says we're that bad. God says that Jesus had to die for your sins and the fact that the Son of God had to die for your sins reveals the depth of our sin. The Bible says that we're enslaved to sin. It says we're blind to our sin. It says we are dead in our sin. It says we have an infinite debt owed to an infinite God that's something we cannot fix ourselves. See, Jesus' death was not something tragic 
some mistake. Oh, that's so horrible. It was the willing, sacrificial act of love to ensure that we are fixed and forgiven. And so we need Friday. We need Friday because Jesus came to save sinners. And I would propose to you that if you cannot see, if you will not see, if you do not see yourself as a sinner in need of rescue, Jesus has nothing for you. But, some of us never get past Friday. Some of us never get past the guilt and the despair of our sin and we sit in it. Can you imagine life for the disciples if they lived on a perpetual Friday where Jesus never gets off the cross? There's a reason why our cross is empty and Jesus isn't on there. It's important. It, it is crucial. It's essential. It's necessary to grasp the depth of our sin, right? Jesus said as much. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know how impoverished they are spiritually. How, how in need of rescue. We need to see that. But it is dangerously despairing to remain there. Living on Friday where Jesus died for our sins means I never stop thinking about my sin. I never stop thinking about my weakness. I never stop thinking about my failures. I talk about them. I live in them. And guess what? I actually don't stop talking about yours and yours and yours and yours and yours either. Living on Friday means crucifying Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over again. And because Jesus never gets off the cross, you are governed by this idea that I'm, I'm just not good enough. And the enemy loves that phrase. Yeah, look how messed up you are. Faith set on Friday means you define your relationship to God by your sin. And while we need to get through Friday, we cannot stay there. If you stay there, your relationship invariably becomes this, this relationship of works where you're always trying to not disappoint God anymore. And you're trying to kind of make it up to Him. We need to have Friday. We need Friday. We need to come face to face with our sin, but we've got to live through Friday and get to Saturday. But what's Saturday like? Well, Saturday is the day He was buried, right? Jesus is in the tomb. And Paul says that he died for his sins and then he was buried. You go, why, why, why say he was buried? That seems kind of obvious, right? People die, they're buried. Well, there's an apologetic purpose in stating this. First, that Jesus really died. It's not symbolic, it's not spiritual, it's not some fake death. It was real death. He really died. He was really buried. But there's also this figurative purpose, this kind of symbolic and, and spiritual purpose. Like Jesus literally died on the cross. Jesus literally was buried and all of the sin that He died for, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our brokenness, all of our old self was buried with Him. Buried, covered, removed. It's all gone. 
psalmist says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sin from us. And it doesn't get any further than burying it in a tomb and closing it off and saying my old self is gone. A Saturday faith is actually begins with a freeing faith. It's, it's free of guilt. Okay, I'm no longer guilty. I, I'm no, no longer ashamed. I, I, don't have to fear, I don't have to fear failing. I don't have to live in the, in the past mistakes that I made. I don't have to uh, sit in the, in the hurts that, that were committed against me or that I committed. I can, I can embrace my forgiveness in the present. See, the Saturday faith is outside of the, the shock and the ugliness and the darkness and the chaos of Friday. Because Saturday means exactly what Jesus said on the cross, right? It's finished. It's finished. Or is it? And I ask that because as glorious as it is to to get to Saturday, as glorious as it is to, to remember that old self has been buried, never to rise again as that old self, there's a problem with Saturday. Because if you stay on Saturday, the experience of our salvation never extends beyond burial. And my fear is that this is actually where most Christians stay. Dare I say that if you are a Christian here, it's possible you're living out your faith on Saturday. And what's faith on Saturday? It's Jesus in the tomb. It's Jesus still buried. It's sitting in your salvation. I know I've been forgiven. But the only time you actually think about Jesus is going to visit the grave every now and then. It's, yeah, I remember what He's done for me. I remember that He's forgiven me. I remember that my old self was buried. But then you actually do nothing else and you just kind of live your life the way you think you're supposed to live it. There's a problem with Saturday faith is that Jesus said it's finished, but he never said we were at the finish. We don't talk about what happened much on Saturday. I think it's a really interesting day to think about. It doesn't tell us much in Scripture about that day with the disciples. You kind of have to infer some stuff. I think it's interesting that the disciples, right, they were told exactly what was going to happen. Like Jesus didn't mince words. He's like, okay, um, I'm going to die. They're going to hand me over, be arrested. I'm going to be killed, but don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead. Okay, sure, Jesus. And then he tells him again. He, tells, he told him like 17 times, right? And then the day comes, they're like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I kind of told you this. Because they didn't really hear what he was saying. So they were shocked. And in response, they were scared. And in response to that, they ran and they hid and we can imagine they probably wept all night on Friday and probably into Saturday as they considered the last three years of their life was a waste. As they consider, like, God, you never, like, where were you? Why didn't you show up at this horrible moment and stop it? And in God's eyes, as horrible as it was, it was actually wonderful. But they didn't see that. Perhaps they hid in fear. Some were probably together. Some were alone. And Saturday would have been the Sabbath, right? So they couldn't work. They didn't have any work to distract them from thinking about this. So they probably just sat there depressed. 
And we do read that like first thing Sunday morning, they get up and what do they do? They go fishing. Well, let's go back to what I know. And they didn't catch anything. Should have been a clue. But think about this, right? They walked around with Jesus for three years and, and every, they were with Jesus. And He was explaining things to them every day. He was telling them, this is what we're going to do every day. We're going to go here now. We're going to go here, here, do this. Like They were with Jesus every moment and now with Him in the tomb, they didn't know what to do with themselves. Does that sound like the typical Christian faith? I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know. I don't know how to live this life though. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Your Jesus is still in the tomb. This is the kind of faith that's accepted that, that Jesus died, but he hasn't really rose from the dead insofar that it actually changes my life. You live as if Jesus is still in the tomb and as if you've got to figure out life all on your own. And even if we say, like, well, I know, I know he rose from the dead, like, functionally as we live, we don't live as if Jesus is a real person who really is alive, who is really ruling and reigning and walking with us and talking with us and directing us and guiding us. We don't live like that. If we truly believe that Jesus was alive, we would talk with him all the time. We would seek his face all the time. We wonder, what now, Jesus? Where to, Jesus? Because we'd believe he'd respond. A Saturday faith is a faith that really you believe God's pretty powerless and you get overwhelmed by the tragedy that happened. It's a worship of a God who is defeated, a God who is silent. Oh, I don't know where you're at, God, because I don't hear like, do we really believe that God is not working at that moment? On Saturday? It's a faith that feels depressed a lot, feels directionless a lot, feels defeated a lot. And yet it started off so good, like, hey, okay, the old is gone, yes. But now what? You gotta get to Sunday. You can't stick on Saturday. You gotta go through Saturday. You gotta go through those moments of silence, those moments of where are you, God? I don't see how this works out, God, right? Isn't that the typical Christian faith? Since I don't see it, I guess I don't believe it. That's where the disciples were on Saturday. All they saw was the crucifixion and then nothing. We've got to get to Sunday. God wants us to live in the fullness of the Gospel, all parts that Friday, yes, I am a sinner. And then Saturday, I was a sinner. That old dog's been buried. And my shame and my guilt and my failures and my weaknesses with him. Praise God, Sam's gone. Right? But Sunday, I'm a saint. I'm a child of the King. I'm filled with the Spirit. I am with Jesus in a way that is even greater than if He was there with me face to face. Jesus said that. Paul says He was raised on the third day. See, trusting in the crucifixion and the burial means that 
Okay, I accept the fact that I need a new life. I accept that things are broken out there and in here. I accept I need something new, not just new and improved, not just better, new, brand new. And believing in the resurrection is the conviction that you've actually received it. The resurrection moves us from this Saturday of like, now what do I do? I don't know what's the purpose of my life. I don't know what to do walking around trying to figure things out to the deep conviction that Jesus is actually walking with us in the newness of life. Paul in his letter to the Romans, and I'll read chapter 6, a couple verses, he points to baptism as this reality. It's interesting, we talk about our baptism when we get baptized. And we fail to see how often Paul and the other writers point back to that moment to remind us of how to live in the moment. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And these things, he says, we know. Like we have this deep conviction. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Do you know that? Do you know that that old self is gone? Do you know that you're not defined by the mistakes you've made, but by the right things Jesus did for you? Do you know that? Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him or us. We go, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, death. Defeated. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Living on Saturday means the old is gone, but living on Sunday declares the new has come. We are not only forgiven, we are not only cleansed, we're not only free from the power of sin, we are alive in Christ. And whatever difficulty you're experiencing now, whatever circumstance is overwhelming to you, whatever mistake you feel like you've made that is just eerie, unhealable, unfixable, the resurrection shows us that God won. And God wins. And evil loses because it's completely lost. And that Jesus is now ruling. And if he's ruling, he is protecting and guiding and teaching and helping us follow his ways until he comes back and completely gets rid of sin forever. Living on Sunday means that Jesus is Savior, and Paul says this in the beginning, like the thing I preached, the gospel I told you, in which you have been saved and you are being saved. Like we are works in progress, and Jesus isn't done with us. He's done all the heavy lifting in the beginning, but he didn't just say, hey, good luck with life. He said, I'm still saving you. I'm still rescuing you. I'm still guiding you. I'm still with you, and I'll never leave you, forsake you. The resurrection has power to change your life. 
And that's no more clear than the guy who's writing 1 Corinthians 15. You may not know about Paul. You may know a lot about Paul. He says some things about himself that are kind of interesting. He says, last of all, as he says, oh, Jesus appeared to Cephas like his best friend. Makes sense. He appeared to his brother James. That makes sense because James didn't believe him until resurrected Jesus showed up. He's like, I guess I'll worship my brother now. And then he appeared to all these 500 people. And then he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What does Paul say about himself? I'm the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God, but by grace I am what I am, and His grace toward me has not been in vain. I have a tattoo on my arm. I got it because my sister-in-law gave me a certificate. (laughs) Then I had to do it because I felt bad if I didn't use it. So I put a verse on there. And it's interesting, I lived in my neighborhood for most of my marriage at this point. So they've watched the weird transition of their neighbor from high school teacher to church planter asking them for chairs to use in my garage to have a service. Weird, run, cultish, right? And they watched and I got a tattoo. And I didn't get it until I was a pastor. So they were a little weirded out. So Kaylin one time, my bride, went, was down to the neighbors. She said, oh, Sam got a tattoo, huh? Don't. Don't judge me. Right? I got a tattoo. And they're like, yeah, well, what's the, what's the reference? It's a Bible, bro. What's the reference? And so Kalen said, it's in Timothy or something. And so they go get their Bible, you know, blow the dust off it. They open their Bible and they're like, what reference is it? It's, oh, it's like 1 Timothy 2, 15 or something. So they open it up and it says like, women remain silent and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they read that out loud. No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. Like, that's right, lady. It's like, no. That's not it. Verses 1 Timothy 1.15. And it's a verse that says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the greatest. And I'll tell you what, Paul is a pretty great sinner. By great, he even speaks of himself. I, I persecuted the church. He arrested and killed Christians. He sought out those who were of the way, the early Christians, and he killed them. Worse than that, he arrested and killed Christians in the name of God, believing he was doing God's work. And if anyone deserves to be punished, abandoned, separated from God, I'm going to take the guy who killed Christians as first nominee. And what did Jesus do? As Paul, with letters in hand to arrest any Christians he found on his way to Damascus, resurrected Jesus, showed up on the road and changed his life. Resurrected Jesus, met him in the road and said, what are you doing? You're mine now. And from that moment, Paul had been walking one way and he started walking another the chief of all sinners, the worst of all sinners. Paul was transformed. And you can see he lived through his Friday, right? I'm bad. I'm a sinner of sinners. But he also got to Saturday where he says, but grace. 
But grace changed everything. Grace buried that old Paul and I was raised new. And by grace, I have worked to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. His salvation was a, a miracle. Like, he was the last person, a guy named Ananias. Jesus shows up and like, hey, I need you to go talk to Paul. He's like, Paul? Yeah, I need you to go. Um, I, I, I just saved him, and I need you to go talk to him and like, help him to see again. He's like, he's the guy that kills people. Like, that's a miracle. And it's still a miracle when anyone believes. If you believe in Jesus, maybe only you know the darkness that is in your heart and the mistakes and the failures and the things that you've done. But Jesus knows. And he saved you. Your life was a miracle. No, no matter how colorful or lack thereof your testimony is, the fact that you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead for you, that's a miracle. And it's a miracle every time anyone believes. And if the resurrection has the power to transform a man from a murderer of the followers of Jesus to a man who was murdered, for following Jesus, it can transform you no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. The miracle of the resurrection changed everything for him. And you know what? For Paul, until the day he died, it never ceased to amaze him. Not just the miracle of the resurrection, but the miracle that Jesus would come into his life and say, I know how messed up you are, and yet I love you. Isn't that love? That's so what the gospel tells us. Like Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to come and save those people who were kind of clean. He says, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if Christ hasn't been raised, don't listen to me. If Christ hasn't been raised, honestly, I have absolutely nothing to offer you. Not even good advice. But if he has been raised, and he has, if the tomb is empty, which it is, my preaching is not in vain, and you today can be forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and future, freely, fully, and finally. Don't leave here without certainty that you know Jesus, and you know you'll be in the presence of Jesus should you get hit by a bus when you walk out, which I don't see lots of buses driving around, but you know what I mean. Your sin can die today. Your old self can die today. All of that self-hatred, all of that shame and that guilt and that brokenness and the mistakes, and the th that can all die today, be buried today with Jesus, and you can walk in the newness of life with Jesus and with his people. Jesus went to the cross for you. And for those of you who know him, who know that. I know that. Get Jesus out of the tomb. He's risen. He is alive. He wants relationship. He wants you to and delights in you talking with him and listening to him and being directed by him and trusting him even if you can't see what he's doing right now. You know because of the resurrection he is working for you. He is risen he is ruling. He is reigning. So it's time to stop 
sitting in just the death and just the burial of Jesus and start walking in the newness of the life he's given you, the excitement of it, the joy of it. And it may not be the most blessed earthly thing that you ever experienced. Look at Paul, he's died, beheaded, but there is something being prepared for you beyond glory. This world is just prep school for the next. And there's nothing like certainty about who you're living for and how you are living for him. This is why we take communion every Sunday. We take communion because we need to be reminded of a few things. If you are not a Christian, if you have never met Jesus, you've never acknowledged that, Lord, I am a sinner, I need rescue, I need my old self buried with you, and I need my new self risen, I pray that you'll receive Jesus today. That you'll believe, you'll confess Yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and you will believe that God raised him from the dead to give you new life. I pray that will be your experience today. And for those who are Christians, this table has been given to you by Jesus. He said, remember my body broken to you for you. Remember my blood shed for you. Why? Because we're so apt to forget that we have a new life and it only takes about an hour, maybe 15 minutes for us to soil that life. And so we come together and we go, I need to remember that I am a redeemed work in progress and I need to be renewed every day, every day. And it's not just this new renewed life, it's a shared life. We all come together and guess what? As people come, we start going, hey, you're a sinner like me. And so are you, and so are you. We're a redeemed group of sinners who don't bring anything to the table but our sin. And Jesus says, yep, taking all that, forgiving all that, cleansing all that, now go live for me in the new life I've given you. And as you live, we're always setting our mind on the eternal life to come. And trusting and praying, because we know Jesus is alive and not dead, that he is returning. He is coming for us. And when he does come, he is going to extinguish sin completely. We have been freed from the power of sin, but there'll be a day when Jesus frees us from the presence of sin completely, and that will be a glorious day. Let's pray.